This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. Being an American abroad is a very special, special position to be in. And I think for African Americans, it's particularly unique because it puts us on an equal playing field or more equal playing field in a way than we are used to experiencing in the United States. And we really should capitalize off of that because you can. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered. Free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens. Free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. I am excited for this episode of the Blacksit Global podcast because I get to reconnect with a member that was in our Facebook group. You also might know her. She's had a TV appearance in that time. She is joining us today from Paris, France. Welcome to the podcast, Amber Johns. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It is long, long overdue, and I'm just excited about all that you are doing. As I said, I want to give a particular shout out to you for all of the support that you have given all women, in particular Black women around the world who have wanted to move abroad. I got introduced to you through House Hunters International because of, of the ad, and it was a friend of mine who was like, hey, I'm part of this group. They're doing this ad. I think that you, you know, it'd be great. You should apply. And so that's how I got introduced to, to Blacks at Global. And instantly, I think I, I reached out to you and I was like, this is amazing. And when I got selected, I was like, thank you so much for giving these opportunities. So, you know, even though we're just now connecting, you have been so supportive and so responsive, even though I'm sure you have thousands of people reaching out to you all the time. And so your support has been felt even all the way here in Paris, France. So I really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. It's my pleasure. It warms my heart that this has grown and impacted so many. So thank you for that. I want to get into your amazing story. For people who haven't yet seen your episode on House Hunters, tell us a little bit about yourself. Amber Johns, of course, but I grew up in a small town called Grass Valley, California. So way up in Northern California, where yes, we get snow, which also later on, fast forward, explains why the weather in Chicago is not so drastic for me, because I did get snow growing, not nearly as much as in Chicago, but I was familiar with the concept. And, and as I say on the show, which is really true, I grew up reading uh, Daniel Steele books, ironically, and people are like, really, your mom let you read those as, as a young child, but, but she did, because they're kind of romantic. But they're really based about strong women uh, who were overcome 
overcoming crazy things in their life in, in all different centuries, but often are based in Europe. So I have these very romantic ideas of Europe in my head as a little girl and kind of being, you know, a Russian czar that loses all her money and then meets some fabulous man in France. And then like we moved to the U.S. and we have this great life. And so when when high school came, you know, there weren't a lot of options in a small town for different languages. But when everybody was running to Spanish, I wanted to do French. Like, I don't want to go to Mexico. I want to go to Europe. And so that's where I think my first love of France and everything French and the culture came. My first French teacher, Miss Diane Robertson, we're still family friends. She was amazing. And actually, when I first moved to Paris doing a, a program, an exchange program, um, it was a connection of hers that met me. So later in life, that really wound up proving to be a, you know, a great relationship. Um, so teachers, you know, often play influential roles in our lives. And she really did. And then when I, I went to UC Berkeley undergrad, and I came from a very loving household, but a single mother household. So we did not have tons of means. And so I come back from UC Berkeley week one, and I'm like, Mom, I'm going to Paris. And she's kind of like, I want to say that's great. But she's like, give me some more information about what's happening. Well, and of course, UC Berkeley at the time, I, I was pretty much on a full bride scholarship there. And when you do an exchange program, at least back then in 2002, I don't know, same today, um, they make it to where it's affordable. So basically the price of school doesn't really change outside of clearly like living costs, your your loans are transferred. So I was like, no, I've got it together. I'm going to go. Like most schools, there's several, you know, exchange programs. But of course, for me, I wanted to do the most difficult one, not the simple one going to the Sorbonne. I wanted to go to Sciences Po, which is um, their sort of equivalent of Harvard in political science. So, you know, you're going to school with like minister kids and like, you know, kind of time Condoleezza Rice came to the school and spoke. Right. So this is kind of the level of school that it was. Um, and because of that, I mean, because I identified I wanted to go there my freshman year, um, the French department at UC Berkeley really worked with me. But I was the first student that they were going to consider that was not either half French or already had gone to a French lycée um, because it's a full immersion French school. Like there's no English classes at all, you know? So I worked really hard for, for three years um, taking additional French classes to make sure that, you know, I would be prepared. Fast forward first day of my day of school here or in France, I was not prepared <laughs> despite all I have a lot of my friends have heard the story, but long story short, it ended me running out into the street to call my mom at one of the pay phones, which back, they don't have them now in Paris anymore, but at the time they did, and they were see-through. And all these poor French people saw this random American girl having a complete breakdown in a phone booth <laughs> calling my phone. Where, was it because expectation and reality were not the same? They weren't on the same page? Exactly. Well, I knew it was going to be hard the reality of it is when you're learning a language in class, especially in the United States, the vocabulary that you learn is just not really very applicable to the day to day. And also you have to understand this was a political science, right? So I've been taking French for years, but we're learning how to talk, how to say hello, not how to speak politics, not how to talk about developing countries, right? Like, so the vocabulary was just a whole another world. And, and that's what it was. I literally sat there for an hour at this introductory like meeting and all these students are writing like crazy. And I can't pick out a word, like a word. <laughs> and mind you, I've had like eight years of French at this point. Right. So like in our first season, I had a friend of mine on the podcast, Marsha. She grew up in a Haitian household. And so she had yes. some understanding of the language. Yes. But when she was in the office environment, like that didn't really serve her well. <laughs> so it sounds like similar 
different vocabularies that you use. I mean, I think the basic French and what any language is important, right? I mean, yep. the basics of the constructions of the verbs and all of that, that all serve me well. But yes, your vocabulary. I mean, another example, I know we're jumping out of order, but like I do horseback riding here now in Paris, right? That first year was rough, right? It's a whole nother vocabulary, even to this day. And, and everything's very particular. And now it's funny because I've advanced to a point where I know things in French, but I don't necessarily know the English equivalent because I'm learning in French, right? So I'm like, I don't know what you call it in English <laughs> with, with horseback riding, but everything you do is a whole separate, you know, vocabulary, which makes sense. I mean, I think we do it in English too. If you start a new job or, or a new, you know, you're going to learn different vocabulary. It's just a little bit more extreme when it's not your native language. <laughs> a- absolutely. Absolutely. So when you were on that phone call with your mom, like, what were the things that she either said or did to help allay, you know, your fears and be able to really charge forward with your life there? I mean, at that point, you know, it's 4 a.m., you know, as a single mother, it's 4 a.m., her daughter's calling her in hysterics. Her first thing is like, I can't get to you. Like, do you want to flight home? Like, what do we do? You know, and I think, you know, sometimes you just need, and I think what's funny about it is I was already upset, but you know how sometimes when you hear your mom's voice, you just like double over <laughs> So it was just, I think for me, a lot of the times it's just getting the emotion and fear out. And, and ultimately, although it's a ridiculous scene, you know, I tell people um, as much as that I'll never forget, I will never, I mean, it's so imprinted in my mind that first day, but then everything else wound up being amazing. I mean, it wound up being the most phenomenal time of my life. So you, I think in those situations, you sink or swim ultimately after that excelled. And I think it's because I had to work harder, right? A lot of my co my friends were either half French or, you know, were more assimilated to the environment, which caused me to really have to work very hard to catch up. And that's what you did. And, and I wound up uniquely, a lot of those students would stay with the students at the school. And so really didn't get to meet a lot of locals. Um, I, on the other hand, explored and had a left, you know, after a year and a half in France, I had tons of French friends that were local here, not just the students, you know, which, which I still had friends as well from around the world, um, which served me greatly when I moved back in the middle of a pandemic, because I already had a friend base here all the way back from when I studied. As much as it was a terror moment I also I think I remember it so much because it was it was the bottom where you just rose straight up you know what I'm saying and everything else was there now I always tell people all the time I did walk around with a headache for three months like literally had a headache every day for like three months straight because that's the other thing you know your brain is, is, is on overdrive and then anybody else who's learned a language we all seem to share this everybody kind of has a similar story it's like one day you wake up and there's like something that snaps in your brain And all of a sudden, rather than feeling forced when you're speaking the other language, it just sort of rolls. And and that's what happened. It took me about three months. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, I just, you know, it just worked. When you are surrounded by the language, it takes it out of the classroom and something you're studying, and it makes it a part of your life. And when it becomes a part of your life and part of how you communicate and interact with individuals, all of a sudden you're using it in a different way. And so I, I think we retain it differently because it's associated with an experience that we're living rather than just a classroom. And so um, I, but so I think all the baseline studying and classes you take are really important because although the same vocabulary you may not be using, that baseline really allows you as soon as it becomes a part of your life to sort of move and progress quickly. You know, this was 2004, 2005. Paris is not the same city 
as it was back then. Back then, you had less options to speak English because they just, which was good for me, right? Because I, I had to force through it, right? And, and, and to be fair, I say this, almost all French understand English. They, they learn it, for the most part, way earlier than we do. It's kind of, a, especially these days, it's a trendy thing. However, French are very critical of themselves. And so it's more about being timid to use it themselves. And that's where I think, well, back in 2004, the disjunct was, was like, oh, French aren't friendly. And actually, it's almost because they're so nervous and being put in an uncomfortable situation, not because they don't have a desire to or haven't or don't actually understand what you say. Well, and sometimes they might play like they don't, but I'm like, no, every French person knows some English. They might try to act like, no, they know, they know. They're just not comfortable. Either they're kind of being a butt or they're not comfortable speaking back, you know? Um, now there's a lot more English speakers and um, it's definitely a trendy thing. So every French person you meet while you are in France, I promise you, is going to say, oh, I want to learn English too. You know, you can have your broken French and they can have their broken English and you, y'all figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> right? You'll get to a happy medium. But that's, that's a good thing too, because yeah. it's, a, it's a value exchange and it allows you to get immersed in the culture. It allows you to give back to someone who's giving to you, you know, being able to yeah. practice. So I love that tip. So for those of you who are listening, considering France and are intimidated, go into it. You can learn some French, you can teach some English, and you can have a <laughs> good life yeah and it's very welcome I mean Americans are very cool everybody wants to know about it they the other thing that's kind of funny and it's fun why you know I've been here for a while so I still have but I still have foreigner eyes but my friends who are just coming it's it's funny re-watching them experience France because the other thing that I guess I hadn't realized you know they still really think a lot of the stuff that we do in the United States is based off tv shows and, and you forget that as Americans when we watch stuff we can discern what's sort of staged and what's real. Just like the way people talk, what we really do, what we think is cool. And you don't realize like how much false stuff that is put out in the media and shows. And so you see it reflected to you by foreigners trying to express what they think is normal there. And you're like, no, like we don't. Yeah, that doesn't really happen here. <laughs> we say this, no, you know, they're like, oh, really? But they, they, you know, how would they know? And then you, then you exactly. think about it like, that's really all they see. Yeah, you know, America's image outside the United States is very interesting. There are some countries where I think not knowing the language or knowing it well would not impede you a lot. My personal opinion, particularly in France, because so much of the, there's so much history here and it's really tied around the languages from the names that they name just stores and restaurants. They really, they do lots of plays on words to politics, to common ways that people make jokes. The language is very, very important and you can come and enjoy it, but you miss something like a, we say profondeur, like a, there's a depth there. There's a substance that you really miss in France if you don't know the language. And so this is one of those countries where you obviously can come here without it, but knowing it really allows you to see a whole nother side and understand the life and the culture. So you add a lot of that, I think, particularly in France. And I'm sure there's other countries where people who live there would feel the same way. But I think there's some that like, you know, that you can go to um, like, like Germany, maybe, right? Like, I think people really get a lot out of Germany without fully speaking German. But Germans all also speak excellent, even better than us, I say, impeccable English. Certainly back then in, in 2004 when I when I was studying abroad, but but now it gives me a, a leg up. And as, and to be an American, because they all think Americans, you know, don't speak any other languages. So to be an American, to be as fluent as I am, they're also just kind of like more like, 
how did this happen? Like, you know, we went from California to, to law school. Really, my experience at Sciences Po, the school that, that I went to, um, it really solidified me wanting to be an attorney. I knew early on that it was something I was interested in. But at the time, um, in 2004, you know, the European Union was was going through another growth. And we act, they were actually debating Turkey being part, which, which, which never really came through. But um, and because Sion's Poll is kind of the center of political science, we had all these huge debates, hence why Condoleezza Rice was here, right? You know, was it a good idea? Was it not an idea? Who are we going to allow? You know, everything from how are we operating and money, of course, was in, in, you know, a national debt and who's paying for things. But it was these really intricate conversations. But what I saw is the common denominator between these countries who honestly have history of wars against each other, right? And crazy, crazy um, stereotypes that they hold true to this day, which is really, if you think we're bad at stereotypes, let me tell you, Italians are, I mean, but it's just, it's years, right? And what was bringing them together was legal documents. Even sometimes begrudgingly so, they were coming together off of legal documents. And I was like, I want to be this. I want to be, you know, I want to go in this profession. I want to work at international law where you can use the law and understanding cultural nuances, be able to bring things together, you know, and that's what I really saw. And so when I came back, I was 100% set that pursuing a legal career is what I wanted to do. Honestly, everything thereafter was about getting back here. Went to, to Nashville, Tennessee, to Vanderbilt Law School, to Chicago, to Paris, but we got here. <laughs> Wow, that is a journey that like really, as I think about your story arc, started with those Danielle Steele books, having that imagination, taking the leap and not following the the herd and saying, oh, I'm going to, you know, do what everybody else is doing, study Spanish. No, I'm going to do French, falling in love with it, going abroad, having this experience that was a little shaky at first, but you, you got your sea legs underneath you. And then saying, you know what, I can see that this whole thread of everything pulls together and it boils down to law, the political landscape, and being able to say, this is firmly where I want to place myself. You talked about making that decision and it, all of the journey steps that has now brought you back to France, Paris specifically. What was it about you know, 2020, I believe, is when you made that decision and returned. What was it about that time period? Was it like the right job opportunity? Was it everything kind of coming together? Or was it a, a mixture of things that were going on in the U.S.? Kind of like take us along for that step. We'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American. Hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. Yeah. Well, I mean, those of you, I don't, I don't know if you're if you're spiritual or not, but I certainly very much am. And I really I feel like God puts you in situations 
to force you to grow in ways that you need to. And ironically, it was actually in 2019, I was really unhappy. I was really, really unhappy. I'd been, I'd been building a law firm with a partner for seven years and actually had a very great legal career and really had done quite well in Chicago. But yet here I am on the eve of my birthday, finding myself just feeling unsatisfied. And ironically, building a, a, a law firm was an amazing experience. And I got had some amazing clients. And so my capacity as an attorney gave me the skills that I needed to do what I'm doing now. But at the time, you know, it was somebody else's dream. It was never my dream to start a law firm. I just wound up with connecting to people and it wound up sort of going. It was my partner's dream and it was great. And I really built a pretty good international practice, but not as big as I'd wanted to. And I'm big on animals. And I had a cat that I had for 15 years. This cat had gone through undergrad and through law school with me and to moving. So, you know, there's an attachment there who passed. And we kind of had a rough time in the law firm and my birthday. And I was just really upset. You know, there was a lot happening and really emotional. And it caused me, which I don't do enough, to kind of stop be like, what would make me happy? And I think we all need to do this. If we would put aside our limitations on economics, life situation, you know, if you have kids, assume you don't have kids, assume you're not married, assume money is not your limit, assume language is not your limit, assume that movements and vaccines are not your limit, right? Where would you want to be? Where is your happy place? What do you picture really life looking like to define your personal happiness, right? I think often we have the answers within ourselves. We just aren't calm enough to listen to them. That is my biggest issue. Every time I take the time to pause and calm down and really just listen to myself, I am amazed at what comes. <laughs> Should do it more often, do I? No. But anyway, we're, we're, we're growing on that. But it was just one of these really kind of, I don't call it a midlife cry, but it was, it was a big moment. And in that, I was like, you know, I have always wanted to live in Paris. That's always been my dream. And I've been chasing all these little things. And I was like, well, yeah, this is, well, this is what I want to do. And I've always known this and I need to focus more on that. And it was crazy because this was like end of August. I came to France because I had a friend who was getting married, which was good because I really got to speak to a lot of her French family, which I think helped me figure out later on some ways to start looking how to transfer my legal practice there here. But formally in September of 2019 was like, look, I'm going to figure out how to move to Paris. Like, this is what I want to do. And I mean, energy shifted. I started in September. I had job offers in December and I came in January and moved in February. I mean, it was just like, if, if God hasn't said, see, when you listen to me, things start, I mean, it was just boom, 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 boom. Like, <laughs> just, just flew wow. Right when you talk about like the universe. Yep just coming together and I think I talked about it at the end of it might have been season one or two <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. where it you know it talked about that MLK quote right taking the first step mm -hmm. even though you can't see the full staircase your story yeah, yeah, yeah. is that right when yeah. you made that declaration yes it was in the back of your mind and the recesses but you know life happens mm -hmm. and then you got still and returned to center everything started to line up for your good and your greater good. Yeah. And that's what it felt like. You could just feel the energy of the world. Like it was almost like I literally felt, Oh, something else to, to know too, because this is really important, but out there, I read Elaine Welteroth. I love this book. And I think for uh, other women who particularly if you're mixed like me, 
more, it's called more than enough claiming space for who you are, no matter what they say, my Elaine Welter. And it was just really talking about following your dreams and recognizing that you are more than enough and that you should take the leaps even when you don't know it. And, and, and that, and that's, and I just remember the shift and I've just said, this is what I'm going to do. And just the energy of the world seemed to just shift in my favor. And literally that's what it was. I mean, one thing just fell after the other. And I always need to remember this. And I try to do these great moments, you know, when the next hard moment comes, I tell people all the time, decide that you are going to do something and make steps to do and every the energy shifts there but a lot of times again we let the world and obligations and concerns and circumstance we almost have these contrived fences that we let block us forget all of that and just decide where you want to go and the better you get at doing that i, I think the more you find contentment in life i, I you know I, I call it like being in your purpose i think it's about being close in what you're meant to do and following your path and when you get closer to that there's no real resistance it just starts happening so i know it's easier said than done but 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 i think it really applies for anybody looking to move abroad right you know start asking questions you join Blackstick Global. You talk to other people who've been there. You go and visit. You know, you put the energy into it. And all of a sudden, you'll start seeing that all these opportunities and things start clicking. And you, I can't give enough credence to the simplicity of taking the first step and deciding within yourself that that's what you want to pursue. You can make what seems like the impossible possible. You know, your story and, and so many others that I've spoken to either on the show or offline, you know, that's been the common thread, this idea that seemed like a wild idea. I don't know anybody who's an expat to, hey, this is what I'm going to do, you know, or even me, right? At the start of 2020, everybody was dealing with a lot of heaviness and uncertainty mm-hmm. to mm-hmm making a decision like, hey, you know what, I know that I've been working on moving abroad as my goal for 2023. Let Mm -hmm. me start this podcast, not knowing any expats, you know, fast forward to almost two years later, you know, lots of wonderful conversations. And this international community, this was the idea of a a woman sitting in her closet in New Jersey, right? So there you go. You know, you can make what seems like it's impossible possible. And your story is that. So now that you're coming back to France with this new life experience, this new energy around you, what Mm -hmm. is that now almost, I guess, around a little over two years been for you? What has it been like? Overall, amazing. But I have really been pushed through a lot of personal growth that has taken me in directions that I did not anticipate. The most shocking one, what's so funny is because, you know, my personal life and my experiences in France had all been so great. What I did not anticipate was working for French companies to not sort of follow the same, especially because I'd had French clients, right? I'd, I'd worked, I have several French clients that I work with. So on a business side, I figured, you know, I, I understood some of the nuances, um, but boy, did I have a lot to to do. And I got my apartment in the first week of March 2020. Paris shut down a week later. <laughs> so I literally had a week of normal. I literally went on a couple of dates, saw some girlfriends, and then boom. When I say shut down, I mean that we were not allowed outside of our houses except for certain times during the day, at which point you had to have an attestation, which was a piece of paper originally. Eventually, again, they came up with an app that had to state one of the seven reasons for which you could be outside of your house. So if a policeman stopped you, if you did not have one of those, then you got fined. 
right? So like, this was not like, oh, you can kind of go, no, 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 no. Like shut down, you know, and being in the United States, you know, with, with in a federation, like we don't have that singular autonomy, right? And everybody was scared too. Like now trying to do that with France, good luck, right? But at the time, everybody was terrified and the French government can unify across the country. Nobody can leave their house except for these seven reasons during these hours. And that is it. And boom, like <laughs> shut down, which was not so shocking at first. But I remember calling my mom in tears when Macron, I remember because every night you would listen to the president's like on Thursday nights at certain times he'd be on. But he was like, we're closing the French borders. Just hearing that finality, I think, and mind you, my family's in California, right? So not just in Chicago, on the other side of the world. And when you heard the French borders were shutting down and all flights were being landed, like I'm on Quincy, you're, 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 I'm, I am here. I am trapped in, in France, come hell or high water. It could be the zombie apocalypse and this is where we are. <laughs> That was it. And, and so, um, and the other thing about that is, you know, I had quite a few French friends, but no expats yet in France. So I'm starting this new job in a pandemic. I have French friends, which is good. So I don't really feel super alone. I, I do have people that I've known for a long time, their support there. But later on, having expats, a network, I realized would have helped me in the workplace because I come in to a very challenging role, to a very fast paced company. And I am the only attorney. I am the first attorney. And I am also the data privacy officer. And this is a company that is growing like crazy. And while I felt bad because, you know, there's all these people losing their jobs and things being shut down and worried and like, we're slammed. Like we are busy. And although the company I was at, as it was sold to me as a very international company, which to be fair, it was, I mean, we had 17 different nationalities. Once things started opening up in France and people could go back to work, um, they really wanted us in the office. And what I quickly found out is although the makeup of the employees was very diverse, the administration was very French. What that meant for me, everything that has ever made me successful in life, being a hard worker, being aggressive, being direct, being in there, moving fast, trying to be quicker and better than everybody else to get things done, especially being a black woman, right? That is not what works in a French environment, but they really don't work, right? They, they come in around 10, they have a coffee, they have conversation, literally. They, then they'll go to the thing and answer some emails. And then the craziest thing, I will never forget this. I was like, what? Everybody between, really at the same time, so around 12, 31, everybody, like the entire, now this time there was maybe like 30 people, right? But everybody gets up and whether they brought their lunch or ordering it, and we all sit down together and eat. What is happening? You know, and then they have the, they eat and we, I mean, great fair, it's very familial and great, but I'm just like, we're all going to sit together at a big and long table. This is everybody at the same time. And we all chat and hang out. It was crazy. And then you get coffee and then you do whatever. So you get back to your off your desk around two thirty three, and then you do a little work and then you leave at five or then they have apero. So then around five thirty six, everybody has like a beer together. And so this is weird. So mind you, cause I was still doing some work in the U S I want to be in the office at 7 a.m., work my butt off, be done at like three or four, come back, do things, see my friends here, work. I had stuff to do, right? I had things I needed to do. I had a reg and I'm like, I'm going to work hard and there's lots of things to do. And I'm super direct and like, you know, if something's not right, I'm going to say, no, we need to do it this way or I think that, right? I have a lot to do. I probably was super aggressive in the way I was doing things because to be fair, there was a lot that needed to be done. This did not go well. They said that I could come in early. I mean, they tell you it's fine, right? Like, go ahead, do whatever you want. You know, we don't we're not really, it wasn't one of those visions where I had to be, I was an hourly employee, right? But the reality of it is when I was there three hours before everybody else, 
but then left two or three hours for everybody else. The parents, even though I was told it was okay, my boss knew I was there. Emails are going out at 7 a.m. So there's no question of what I'm doing. Parents still matters, right? I would go to the APROs, but I'm not going to all three of them during the week. I'll show up for one, I'll come for a half an hour, and then I'll leave, right? These guys are hanging out forever. And in the US, if my boss doesn't like what I'm doing or some our client doesn't like what I'm doing, they're going to say, hey, this is not right. We, you can do it politely, but they're going to be very direct. It's not what we wanted. We needed to be like this. Cool. I know what to do with that. I later learned they would come and be like, well, have you thought about this? Or do you think about that? And so I would hear them as suggestions or thoughts. That wasn't a suggestion or a thought. That was their way of saying, we want you to do it this way. Right. But that's not what was being communicated to me. And so I'd find out later what we wanted to look. I'm like, but you didn't tell me that. Well, we talked about it, but you didn't say to me that this is what you're, you know, so there was a, there was a huge gap between expectations and, and I'm working super, super hard and feeling like not only is it not being appreciated or recognized, and also they're not very litigious here. Right. So I'm looking at super infrastructure and doing all these things, but, but a lot of the things that I'm doing that we value and know in the U S which is where they were going, they were going to the U S market is not really valued here. So it was all these things. And even just like efficiency. I get when I first send an email to you, I'm going to say, hi, how are you? All of that. We can do the flight thing. But after you and I have exchanged a couple emails, I'm no longer saying, thank you, Karen, for telling me all of these great things. Now let me, I don't have time for that. Look, we said, hi, we're cool. You send me something. I need something. I'm not doing a whole paragraph of like, I appreciate the fact that you took the time to respond. Like, what do I look like? Right? Like, 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 when, When a CEO comes to you and it's like, we need you to make sure you always at least put bonjour response to your email. Like this is the conversation that you're talking to your general counsel about. Right? And I'm, I'm confused. Like, I'm just like, I mind you, I don't have any expats. Right. So then house house owners international happens. And what's beautiful about that is it connects you with a bunch of expats in Paris. And I'm in the midst of kind of this frustration and I'm talking about them and Adrian in particular, Adrian leaves. She's laughing. I'm being coached by, by business coaches in the U S through this whole time, trying to figure out, what do I need to do different? I am going above and beyond to try to be the best. I've never tried to work so hard to be best and cannot figure out why I feel like I keep coming short. And Adrian's laughing. She's like, oh, all Americans have this problem. Like, this is why I don't work with French. Like, literally, she's <laughs> like, I won't work with them. For example, you know, and, and Anna's, Anna's the director and producer of House Hunter. She's like, oh, yeah, we all have this. Like, this, this is just very American French. Like, and I'm like, well, good to know. I think I've been crazy for six months, you know, and go losing my head only to find out that this is basically a typical French American clash and and the way that we approach things and the way that we work. And so the harder I was working to do things right, the further I was getting away from what they really wanted or understood. So it was just, it was rough. It was really, really rough. So it it was such a good learning experience, but I have never grown so much in my capacity to communicate with other individuals, to try different tactics to communicate. So there are skill sets out of this time that I really value. But during the time I felt like I was going insane. And because I only had my French friends until house hunters happened to really talk to they would kind of help me, but they really didn't know what I was really, you know, going through too much. And not many of them had jobs similar to what I was doing. So it was kind of really hard. But as soon as I had other Americans who'd been working and living in France, I realized that I was not insane, that what I was experiencing was something that many others have, have come with. And so 
all that to say that the expat community really wound up being very helpful later on. A year and a half after being there, I had decided that I had met my glass selling court legal and I was I need to look somewhere else. And I also always had my own company, Ajons Global, which had actually started to pick up at that time. You know, I, I do a lot of business strategy for, for clients who are trying to enter new markets, whether it be in Europe, whether it be in Africa or the United States. I've always done a lot of business consulting and legal structuring for them. And so especially when the world started to open up again, all of a sudden I'm getting calls and that started to pick up. And I was like, you know what? This has been a really great experience, but I think, you know, I, I can start to do some things on my own. So we're going to veer a little bit. It, it was just not what I expected because my friendships and my personal life and living was so great. So to have the work environment be so difficult um, was rough. But at the same time, I mean, I really appreciate it because it gave me some great skill sets and some understanding of French administration and French employment law and how things work that have served me. But yeah, it, it was definitely another another challenge to, to, go, to go through and kind of figure it out. You know what I'm saying? And I use so many different resources, but really it's helpful to have others who literally walk through your shoes to kind of tell you, no, you're not losing your mind, or this is kind of, you know, the way it's done here, because there are just some things culturally that are different. And, and if you don't realize that that's what you're running against, it can feel like you're, you know, hitting your head against a wall. <laughs> and you know what, that's such great advice, because whether it's someone who's listening to this conversation, that's an aspiring expat, or someone who is currently experiencing that, whether they're in France or any other land, what you said just might have shifted someone's perception and allowed them to reframe it differently because you could have folded and said, you know what, world's opening up. This ain't for me. I thought it was going to be this. Let me just go back to Cali or Chicago or whatever. But you were able to, again, tap into and find the right community that allowed you to see things. And also, you know, your company started to pick up and be that bridge that allowed you to step out on faith yet again. And and now have your business and growing it to where you want it to be on your own terms. As we start to close, like what does the future hold for Amber Johns and A. Johns Global? I have learned that the less I make plans, the better off I am. Because every time I try to make a plan, the exact opposite or, or something I could have never imagined happened, right? So, you know, really funny things. I just moved to a different part of Paris. Everybody who saw me in House Under International, I'm now somewhere else. Um, but in a much larger apartment, I, I left my terrace, but I have about double the space, beautiful, bright opening. And I'm right next to the Bois de Bologna where I horseback. What happened was my whole life wound up being on another side of the city. And so I'm 15 minutes to the horses that I go two to three times a week and 15 minutes to my gym and I have space as people can come. And so where I started was great. But, but to me, that's a big chapter because I finally found a place that to me really represents myself and the life I want to have. Like I have my little boulangerie. The lady knows me. I'm in a place where they have fresh markets, which if you, when you guys see my Instagram, I'm now like putting that out there because it's just phenomenal, the flowers and fresh fish. And so I'm really actually, I feel like finally getting to really live the Parisian life that sort of got stolen in 2020. And as it's kind of funny, so it's a whole new thing because everything that Paris was supposed to be, it didn't really happen. It kind of got delayed. And so what A. John's Global has done is given me a flexibility to, to live, to really enjoy life and enjoy what I'm doing. Um, I have clients, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to be in Paris is you definitely, it's a great place to be for, you know, I literally have American clients who will be like, Hey, I need you to 
be in Uganda in a week. Can you come? Yes. Is it a big deal? No, because I, I'm right down the way, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, Senegal is like six hours less. I mean, maybe it's even six or four. I don't know. But, you know, Morocco is like two hours. So access is a lot easier and Chicago is only six, right? So I found that that being here is really, really helpful. And, you know, and I still have my place in Chicago. Like I'm going back to the United States um, next month and I'll be there for a little bit. And that's where like I see my clients in the US and going into their stores and talking to them and having meetings. And so it's really about, I think for me, figuring out how this two country life, you know, I don't know what you can call it. instead of bi-coastal, I'm bi-country, you know, <laughs> like, and, and what does the bi-country life look like? Right. And how, and how am I growing that? Cause people always ask, well, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I want to be in both. Like I'm keeping, you know, I bought in Chicago and I hope in the next couple of years I'll buy in France and, you know, in Paris, I mean, these are the two places where I'll go back and forth. Um, I, I don't know that there'll be anything consistent. It's probably going to be, you know, sort of shifting each year on what it is. But now that I finally have a, a foot planted in each country, it's really developing that and, and seeing what opportunities present themselves, especially when you are an international business consulting company. You know, I can have people who come with me with human resources problems. You know, I really specialize in data privacy, which is up and coming and always need things. So I get people asking for all sort of consulting coming in on data privacy to put in privacy programs or do reviews or do responses. So I, I love data privacy and that's uh, couldn't be a more international, you know, global, global consulting thing to be doing. So that's really great. So there's a lot of opportunities. Um, and I think that's the other thing to realize, you know, as Americans, we are really good at having skill sets that can be applied to a lot of different things. The United States is very pro entrepreneur. And I know that we have, we have all sorts of issues, but at least from what I've seen in France, it's much harder to be an entrepreneur here. And so because of that, they don't have the support being an American entrepreneur and coming into France, you have a huge untapped potential that you have access to that unfortunately they really don't. Um, and I think that there's a lot of countries in Europe when, when it comes to dynamic skill sets, they're just a little bit behind in that way. And, and their structures maybe aren't as supportive as the United States. So being an American in France is hugely beneficial, right? Because I'm living here, but I can have US companies, right? And I can choose to register in France when I want to, when it's opportune. And I get to play a little bit with the tax and things and how we, I mean, it can be tricky. You got to watch stuff, but there's really a lot of opportunity. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think of just being American in France, but I think American in other countries, we really, being an American abroad is a very special, special position to be in. And I think for African Americans, it's particularly neat, unique because it puts us on an equal playing field or more equal playing field in a way than we are used to experiencing in the United States. And we really should capitalize off of that because you can, because out here you are an American first. And that is a cool, envied, intrigued thing, right? So because the American power, even though in the United States might feel limited, is stronger over here just in the way that you can move money and do things and have access to stuff. So you can take our resources, which, you know, African-Americans are longly overdue, right, <laughs> of being an American and use them to benefit you abroad in ways that we could not do in the United States. There's an untapped power in, in being in particular an African-American abroad that really is a beautiful thing. And it's kind of like one of those best kept secrets that we need to let everybody know, like, you know, and you don't and you don't have to give up the United States. You know, I, this is the other thing, too, and I, I'm a big proponent of this and I know we're getting short, but I say, you know, the world wants to stereotype you. I mean, almost everybody I talk to, particularly if they're like 40 and over or like trying to figure out, they're like, well, are you in Chicago or are you in Paris? I don't have to be in either. I can be in both. 
that is okay, right? That just because, it, you know, no, it doesn't mean an example. Like I live in both. I have homes in both. I pay bills in both. I pay taxes in both. I have friends in both. You know what I'm saying? Like I have family, but it, you can live in two countries and have a life and it works. The things that I am managing are probably different than what other people are trying to manage, but it's just an adaptation of that. And so you can really construct the life that you want, that is convenient for you, that, that satisfies you regardless of whether it's something that other people have seen before. Because the reality of it is, chances are you're going to be one of few in doing that. And uh, in class, I do that, that you are because you get all of the benefits of that that other people are missing out on. And, and tant pis for them, which means, I don't even know how to say that in English, but you know, too bad for them. You know, <laughs> but, but it, it, I really push that because I, I think right now in its older life, I, I'm really happy with my life. I love my life. And there's certainly lots that I want to do and want to explore and do better. But I'm so happy with where I am that when things go bad, it's no longer back in 2019 where when work isn't going great or something else isn't going great where I'm just exhausted, right? I love being in Paris. I love having in Chicago. So when everything else doesn't come happen, I'm so content with other things in my life that are so important where I am right now that I feel like I can get over whatever obstacles come in my way. And I wish that everybody, whatever that is for everybody, finds that that balance because I think it's very easy to forget to stay centered in who you are and what makes you happy. But really by doing so, whatever comes good or bad, it just makes it a lot easier to overcome. Gosh, I just love everything that you just said. I mean, I'm going to have to play this a few times for myself. <laughs> so, Amber, where can people find you? First, the website, which is www.ajohnsglobal.com. I'm also on Instagram, ajohnsglobal. And then my personal tag on Instagram is Paris not so creative, but I figured I'm like, just descriptive. So Cali, C-A-L-I-E-X-P-A-T, Paris. And and I use both. I'm also on Facebook and stuff too, but really, I I really like Instagram. So I do a lot on on Instagram, but please connect with me. I am happy to answer questions for for anybody who's interested in moving to Paris or or anywhere in Europe, for sure. Um, Clearly, if you have any businesses, you already have businesses operating, you want to know what it's like to operate in different countries. I have lots of information on that. Um, but, But in any capacity, at the end of the day, I really like networking and supporting people. And I'm here as a resource. And, and you know, I learn from everybody who reaches out to me. So I'm happy to see everybody. So again, um, www.ajonsglobal.com. And I hope that um, this has helped somebody or inspired somebody or something because um, there's a lot out here to do. And I think it's really exciting time to be to be an African-American woman. Shoot, like it's a great time. I mean, yes, men Ooh, are great. It is our time. So be proud and, you know, and chase your dreams. It's really important. Thank you for listening to the Blackseat Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blackseatglobal.com. It's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright. Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.